Acts chapter 18, but a little bit of review. I'm going to take you to um, Corinth, like I did last week. If you go to chapter 17, verse 16, remember I showed you pictures of um, um, Myers Hill? Uh, We will do the same tonight when we go to Corinth. Last week we were in Athens. And if you would put the first map up, the blue one, uh, Thomas. Um, I'll be going back and forth between maps here. But what I want to point out is you see where Corinth is? And you see that it's connected to Achaia? And you see... um, where the land gets very, very narrow before you get to Corinth itself. Everybody see that? That's going to be important as we're getting into our study tonight. Uh, we've been to, when we went to Athens and showed you pictures of, uh, of Mars Hill and um, the first Olympics in 1866, um, we took a bus and followed the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. And um, I'm going to show you uh, where they, it wasn't there in Paul's time, um, but they actually made a channel, a canal, like the Panama Canal. Um, But they did it on that very narrowest strait there. And I want to point it out because we're going to be getting to it. But look at chapter 17, just in, way of remembrance, we're transitioning from Paul's second missionary journey to his third, and we read, well, in 16, uh, verse 16, while Paul waited for them at Athens, okay, so that's where we were last week, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. So now... If you go to chapter 18, verse 1, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And that's when we went on that particular trip to Israel. That's exactly what we did. We departed Athens, got on a bus, uh, followed the, the coast along the Mediterranean, absolutely beautiful, and we ended up in Corinth. So that's verse one, just to connect 17 and 18 together. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So here we have Priscilla and Aquila, uh, because Claudius, that would have been the emperor, commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So Paul is coming to uh, Priscilla and Aquila. I'm going to get a little sidetracked here in verse 3. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Now, we've been reading just how busy this guy is, right? Here to there. Where does he have time to do, (laughs) go to business making tents is what I want to know. But I want to talk about this a little bit. Turn with me to um, uh, Acts 20, verse 34. We'll be there. We'll be in uh, 
20 on Sunday, but look at verse 30, is it 34, X 20, 34, yes, here it is. Um, he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold in 33 or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. Definitely not in the prosperity movement. If he was going to eat, the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. It's that simple. And if, what, if there's one thing that's lacking today um, is a, a, a lack of a good work ethic. It just isn't there. One um, of the attitudes is, the way things are going, why work if they'll give it to us for free? Especially being picked up among um, the younger people, but here, Paul was a tent maker. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers. So, remember, I told you last week, I looked at the clock and I said, well, I could tell you a story, but it's getting late. And I left you with that teaser. Okay, I'm going to tell you what it is. Some of you have heard it because it's an old, old story. But one of the points that I make, at, as a born-again Christian, we should be the best workers in our places of employment because people watch us and it's a witness. So when we were first getting started, late 70s, so before we actually met on Sunday mornings, we were having Bible studies twice a week, Tuesdays and Friday nights. Um, And uh, then... um, we started on uh, Sunday mornings in, well, maybe we'll have some sort of celebration. It was in August of 1981. But as far as ministry goes, now, this was in 79. The guy that I want to tell you about uh, was, uh, his name is David West. And um, he was one of the first people in the churches as we were doing whatever needed to get done. Uh, he was one of the very first guys to work with us. And um, he laid carpet for a job, and I happened to be driving by the place where he was working, and I thought, what the heck, I'm just going to stop in and say hi. How's your day going? So I go in, and I didn't see him, but his boss was there. And I said, do you know where David is? And he says, oh, that West guy, man, he just drives me crazy. He starts mumbling like that. And I said, oh, what's the problem? And he says, all he does is talk about Jesus. He just drives me crazy. <laughs> and I said, I, he said, I'd fire him. He doesn't know who I am, okay? So he said, I'd fire him, but he's the best worker I got. But he didn't like him. <laughs> and um, when, you're, when, when you're young in the Lord, uh, there can be a lot of zeal, followed by... Um, not having a lot of knowledge. You just want to talk about Jesus. And you can rub people the wrong way. And he rubbed his boss the wrong way. But I'm not going to let him go. He's my best worker. So that's the story that I want to tell you, but I want to follow it up with. That was a work ethic that I learned um, oh, from in the mid, mid-70s, 
while I was in a Shiloh. We sang at least one song, if not two songs, that were written by people that were in Shiloh. And what we did um, is that's where I learned my work ethic. And you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, We would work all day, come home, Bible study, seven o'clock at night. But I just told you one little part of it that where my job was at the time was the Minneapolis International Airport. But we had actually businesses all over the country. And what they did as a group is group labor. So instead of hiring the migrants from Mexico to pick apples in Malat, Washington, the largest apple orchard in the country, we would come in for a cheaper price, and our whole team, we would have 200 people show up. And we took over um, Johnny Appleseed, I think they call it, Malat, Washington. 900 acres, if I remember right. And um, uh, to pass the time, the person that sang one, wrote one of these songs to, tonight, what they would do is they would write songs to go along with what we were doing. So they had a song called Apple Picking. And while we're picking apples in the trees, they're going around just ministering to the brothers, just singing our hearts out. Another job that we had that wasn't quite as pleasant was chicken picking. And um, we could go to a chicken farm and you'd take, um, you'd get down on your knees and you'd get three in one hand, pull them back, three in the other hand, pull them back. And you take them to the truck, and there'd be cages there, and you put them in. Six, we'd say six. But what they did to make our job easier, we could pick 7,000 chickens in one evening. And they came out with a song called Chicken Picket. Went something like this We're going chick, 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 chicken picking, chick, 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 chicken picking. I mean, it made, it made your job a little bit more easier. We, to entertain ourselves, we came up with dumb, stupid jokes, too. Not as bad as Paul Mall, but pretty darn close. And so, what, what, what do you wear when you go chicken picking? And the answer is, dungarees. Blue jeans, but we call them dungarees. You'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> When you have 7,000 chickens in one couple, <laughs> there's a lot of that around. Uh, then we had uh, a forestry business. We had a goat farm. Um, uh, we just had businesses all over. Now, the reason I'm making this point is Paul here is saying that Aquila and, a, uh, Aquila and um, Priscilla, they were tent makers, and so was Paul. He had a work ethic. And then next week on Sunday, we'll talk about it again, that he says, look, I haven't coveted anybody's money. I'm not into this for the money. The love of Christ constrains me to do what I'm doing. I do it because I love Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he's making a point. I'm not going to take advantage, as many in the prosperity movement do today. And you know who I'm talking about. But uh, just a little sidetrack there, that if you're a born-again believer... We should be the hardest uh, and best workers on our job. Good place for an amen. Because they're watching. They may not like you, but they can't say anything bad about your work ethic.
I think the worst one, I'll leave it at this because it's getting, what do they call it? Tripe. You guys know what tripe is? <laughs> you farmers know what a tripe is. Okay, a tripe is the inside lining of a cow's stomach. And our job was um, um, working on a mink farm and we would get these tripes in these 50-gallon barrels and they were pretty ripe. <laughs> and our job was to, to scrape them so that they could be used. Pretty gross, huh? <laughs> That's the worst group labor job that I could remember working. But I don't know if we had a tripe song or not. I don't think so. But... So again, the point I'm making here is um, as busy as he was, they still, um, Paul still worked. And he wanted to make, let people know that he, he did it because he wasn't, he didn't want, what they had. He wanted to give them the Lord. So verses one through three is talking about um, um, just starting up. I mean, when we started Calvary Chapel of Appleton, um, it was small. And so I painted houses for seven years. And um, I was able to get Somebody got me a union job, and it paid great. And But for the first seven years, uh, that's how we started the church. I learned that from being in Shiloh. And I learned it because of the example of the scriptures there. So uh, there from Rome, uh, they were kicked out of Rome by Claudius. And... Um, Let's pick it up now in verse four through six. And he reasoned in a synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, they were constrained by the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook the dust off of them, he said, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So, Corinth, leaving Athens, going to Corinth, I'm gonna give you a bird's eye view. Remember that little area that I pointed out to? This is what it looks like from the sky. So, do you see that uh, canal going across? Okay, now I'm gonna show you what it looks like uh, ground level. Again, this would not have been there in Paul's time. So we drove over this bridge, and um, it's a shortcut, because uh, otherwise you'd have to go all the way around, and in Paul's day, they would have actually drug the boats across land instead of going all the way around. That's about how long it is. I don't know, how long does that look like to you? mile, maybe something like that? Anyway, uh, I did want to uh, point that out because when you get on the other side of that, now um, you're, you're at the city of Corinth. And in Corinth, the next one that I'd like to show you is the ruins of Corinth when we got there. 
Um, and I want to point out two things. What you're looking at lower level is the remainder of the city of Corinth. And you see the big hill in the background? And can you see some buildings? I want to show you a close-up of that. And that's a close-up here. Now, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it's probably more instruction where he deals with them on sexual purity. And he writes about it more in the church to Corinth than any other book. And uh, the reason they were so morally corrupt uh, was because what that building is on top there is the uh, priestesses, and uh, they're all female. And what they would do is during the evenings, they would come down into the city. And um, basically, we're, talk, we're talking prostitution here, but they put a religious jargon on it. And then they, they would go back. So this is an A spot. And um, Corinth was a rather large city. And um, I think that's all I really have of Corinth. Yep, so we'll leave that for that and go back to our scriptures now. So we left off. And um, Paul is rejected, and he says he's going to the Gentiles. And he departed from there, verse 7 through 11, and entered to the house of a man of name of Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Uh, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night in a vision. He said, don't be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Indeed, um, the Corinthian church was really messed up, especially when it came to the area of understanding the spiritual gifts, their use and their misuse. And it says he continued there for one year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Well, so Paul was in Corinth for a year and a half um, teaching. And picking it up with verse 12, we're introduced to, um, if we can put the first map back up that shows uh, the area of Achaia, the blue one, I think it's the blue one, yeah, that where it says here, he was the Gal, uh, Galio, the proconsul of Achaia. That's verse 12. Or, so he's sort of the overseer of this whole area. With one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. The Jews did, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now remember, this is a Roman province, and Caesar's king. Jesus is a king, Caesar's king. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names of your own law, uh, look 
to it to yourselves. I do not want to be a judge of such matters. I don't want any of your problems. If there's a crime committed, fine. Bring it to me. I'll deal with it. Otherwise, if you want to argue your religious stuff, I don't, I don't have time for it. Verse 16, and he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sothenesus, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. He just completely ignored um, what, what the Jews did. And now we come to um, uh, verses 18 to 22. Again, um, I'd like to put the map back up. Paul here is now returning from a second missionary journey, and now he's going back to Antioch. And he sails from Crescia, so this would be on the other side of Corinth, which is on the east side. So now Paul is returning from his second missionary journey and now he's going back to Antioch. And he sails from Crenshaw, which is a seaport over on the east side. And um, he's not going westward any farther, so he's sailing now on his way home. And verse 23, we have... um, After he had spent some time there, he departed, went all over the region of Galatia and Phygera in order strengthening all the disciples. So now we're going to um, back to the map of Galatia. And so he's going back over these cities, strengthening them. That's a very important verse in 23. He's going back into that area of uh, Galatia. 24 through 28 is going to be introduced to a man named Apollos. And I'm glad this story is in the scriptures um, for two reasons. If you're a come from a Baptist persuasion. You don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and yet, a lot of people have come to know Jesus through a Baptist church. Can somebody give me an amen to that? Okay, so, that's the situation that we're getting into here. This guy has a natural gift. There are people who have natural abilities to be teachers without even being saved. Uh, This guy is saved, but he's using his natural talents that um, he has, and he's going to learn about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, he was an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, and he came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. Notice it doesn't say he was filled with the Holy Spirit, but he's fervent in spirit. I was um, 
What a sad story. That guy's here, he was coming out of Wheaton. Do you know that's where Billy Graham came from? They're, they're taking down the plaque of um, people that honored Jim Elliott who went to Ecuador to preach the gospel. And they, they took it down because the word savage was on there. Before Jim Elliott went there to Ecuador, missionaries prior to them going went there and they were all killed. And so they were called savages. Now, here's an interesting connection. Dave Hunt was with Jim Elliott at a prayer meeting the day before he went to Ecuador. And when they got there, they were instrumental in winning these savages, and they were, to the Lord. And the chief actually says, indeed we were savages, and we not only killed them, but we ate them too. And uh, so, anyway, there's this plaque at Wheaton, and they took it down because it's not politically correct to say savage. And that's where it's come from. Now, I'm bringing this up because... um, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not, was, was not part of the teaching of that particular uh, Christian college, okay? You know who came out of that college? Billy Graham. And you're gonna tell me that Billy Graham doesn't have the gift of a, of a spirit of evangelism? <laughs> well, he certainly does. Um, so the case here is we have a guy who's fervent in spirit, in verse 23, and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They were probably pretty impressed with him. But if I'm reading into this correctly, they're watching him and they go, he's really a good speaker but there's something they're missing and I think their intuition told them he's not baptized in the spirit. He's like a a Baptist, he's got the word down. He's fervent, like a Billy Graham. By the way, Billy Graham is filled with the Holy Spirit, he just doesn't know it, (laughs) or maybe he does. And when it talks about more accurately and when he desired to cross to Achaia, The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Just like the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? You gotta believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I believe he's saved, but not yet baptized, in the Holy Spirit, which are two different events. So we've been pointing that out, remember? That between uh, different cases, baptized in the Holy Spirit first, and then um, that's what happened with Cornelius. And then he was baptized, and then it was the other way around in Acts chapter eight with um, Simon the Sorcerer. He was baptized, he wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but because his heart wasn't in the right place, he couldn't. But Peter and John came up from Jerusalem. They'd already believed, most of the people that believed, but they weren't baptized with the Holy Spirit. They said for Peter and John, they lay hands on them, 
and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Dwight, what's your point? They're two different things. And the scriptures, I think, are very, very clear about the two baptisms that are there. So, um, verse, let's pick it up in chapter 19 now. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, well, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who had come after him, and that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, I want to stop here and um, talk about the apostolic, what do they call themselves? I call them the Jesus only. It's a Pentecostal church that um, believes you can only, you have to be baptized in Jesus' name or you're not saved. And this is one of the verses that they point to. And if you're not baptized in Jesus' name, then you're not saved. And um, having said that, not making it a Bible study within itself, just turn to Matthew chapter 28. My Bible just flipped open to it. We call it the Great Commission. And if you ever run across these people, they also say you have to speak in tongues or you're not saved. That's First uh, Corinthians 14, that sets that in order. But here we have the Great Commission where the Lord is sending the disciples out. Verse 19 says, Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. End of discussion. Pretty much settles it. That was from the Lord himself. But you can take a scripture out of context and apply it to what you want to believe, and that's exactly what's happening here. I had, I, I've told this story before. Um, they were going around visiting pastors, these three guys from the Apostolic Church. I call them Jesus only. And um, they wanted to come and talk to me in my office. And I said, well, let them in. And they came in and said, hi, brother. And I said, I'm not your brother. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm not even saved as far as you're concerned. Well, of course we believe you're saved. I said, no, I'm not. I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they could not say one word. And, um, and they turned around and walked out the door because they hold to that. And I said, I'm not your brother. I wasn't baptized in Jesus' name only. I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to um, uh, in 19 here they come. They find these disciples and he um, explains that we left off verse 5 when they heard they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them 
and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So here's 12 guys that get saved in the area of Ephesus. I'm going to take you to Ephesus tonight. I guess we'll start with Diana of the Ephesians. Okay, I'll I'll explain this and I'll work our our way into it. Um, The city is dedicated to her. And um, I'll show you a picture of the amphitheater that we were in. Um, And let's do a little sidetrack here. This is not in my notes, but I feel led to do it, and I got a little extra time. Let's go to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Ephesus would have been one of the seven churches that Paul, that uh, the Lord told John to write to. He said, write seven letters to the seven churches. And in chapter 2, I think I said 3, it's actually Revelation chapter 2, the first church that he writes to is the church of Ephesus. And I'm just going to read the first seven verses. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, angel there uh, is a reference to overseer, pastor, whatever. Uh, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience. You can't bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered, you have patience, you have labored for my name's sake, and you've not become weary. I think that's one of the things that... um, the church in America needs to look out for as we're under such turmoil to maintain a solid biblical church without compromise can cause, I think, some to become weary and some even to compromise. So here, I mean, this this is quite a repertoire that these guys have going for themselves. All the things that are very commendable not becoming weary, but then you have this word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have this against you because you have left your first love. Notice it doesn't say you have lost your first love. It says you have left your first love. It's one thing to lose it. It's another thing to walk away from it. And I see that happening in our country today. People walking away from their first love Um, then he tells them remember therefore from where you have fallen remember what well remember what it was like when you first got saved you know that crazy zeal and you just couldn't stop talking about people about the Lord because you loved them so it says remember that Uh, therefore from where you have fallen I call these the three R's the first one is remember the second one is repent Repent and do the first work. Well, what's the first work? To love the Lord. That's the first and greatest commandment. They had gotten into the works. And they had gotten so busy, the mechanics was like a oiled wheel. The church just, just ran. And they didn't need, evidently, the love of the Lord as being the center of it. 
Uh, gang, that's why I think worship is so important. It gives us the ability uh, to express our emotion, our heartfelt emotion, and our love for the Lord. And it needs to go beyond the four doors. Repent and do the first work, or else. How would you like to have the Lord say, or else, to you? Not me. No, thank you. I will come to you quickly and remove, there's the third R, your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember, um, repent, or I will remove you. That's a pretty heavy statement. And I think there's possibly a lot of, a lot of, places it always reminds me of the old Peter and Gordon song I don't care what they say I won't stay in a world without love I always think of this verse and that song <laughs> they always go hand in hand and some of you young people don't have a clue of what I just said <laughs> and um, but this was Ephesus and they had a lot going for them but then he commends them here's a lesson when you have to exhort somebody or reprove somebody because they're doing something wrong. I look at this as an example of how Jesus would do it. He cuts right to the quick. He tells them what the problem is. And he says, get it right or else. And then he doesn't walk out of the room and leave them hanging with that guilt trip leg over them. What does he do? The next verse says, but... This you have. Now he's back into encouraging them that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans is uh, two words, two Latin words put together, nickel, over, laity, people. In other words, authority over the people. And my Bible says that I'm supposed to esteem you higher than myself, and you're supposed to esteem me higher than you. That's what the scripture says. And what he's saying here is that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was creeping into the church. By the time you get to the church of Pergamos, uh, here the Nicolaitans were calling it false doctrine. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that I was supposed to esteem you higher than myself. And so he says, good for you. Nevertheless, this you're that's good, solid doctrine. By the time we get to Pergamos, uh, verse 12, uh, verse 15, he talks about their goods and bads. But in, by this time in verse 15, thus you have also those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now it's in the church. Which things I hate. Jesus says, I hate when somebody takes authority in in a way that is um, not out of order. Having said that, I want to point out that the Lord corrected them for the things they were doing wrong, leaving their first love. All right, the only reason we went here, because it's Ephesus. And um, let's go back to uh, chapter 19. Paul's third missionary journey began in the previous chapter, verse 23, when he left Antioch. In this chapter, he retraces parts of his first and second missionary journey. Then he comes to Ephesus, where he speaks daily in the school of Tyrannus for two years, uh, 
Paul performs miracles which lead to the march against him by Demetrius and his fellow silversmiths. Uh, The move is quieted by the town clerk who urges them to appeal to the law rather than resorting to violence. Now we just left off with 12 guys getting saved. Okay, the next verse in verse eight, if you look at it. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe but spoke evil of the way, remember that's another word for the church, before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now, Tyrannus, I would call the first Bible school. And I know it had at least 12 guys there. And we're gonna read that he was um, there for two years. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. So I like to call the school of um, Tyrannus the first Bible school. Paul is there for full two years. And uh, he had an opportunity. Look what he did with the church of Thessalonica in less than a month. He had three weeks. He taught every major doctrine, the rapture of the church, the tribulation, the kingdom, and all the doctrines of the difference between work and grace, all in three Sabbaths. Imagine what he could do in, in the two years that he spent discipling these guys. Again, where did you find time to make tents? <laughs> All right, um, 11 and 12. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. I've been around long enough. The early prosperity teachers that were on TV, they would say, if you give us your faith offering, we will pray over it. They had a table with a handkerchief on it. We will lay hands on this handkerchief and we'll send it to you with whatever disease or problem that you have and, but all you have to do is put your seed, you sow your seed, so it'll bring forth fruit, right? So what we'll do, and they show, this, and they show these handkerchiefs there, and they're putting hands on them, and, you know, there's one born every minute, right? <laughs> and a lot of people fell for it. And they, where they got that from? Right here. But the Lord says it was an unusual thing, the miracles. They brought the sick and now we're going to get into um, just how real the demonic realm is. Then some of the Jews, exorcists, so now we have Jewish exorcists, took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. These are not Christians. They're Jewish exorcists. I would say almost today, when people think of an exorcism, they somehow equate it with a Catholic priest. Same sort of deal here. And um, they said, these guys who aren't born again, 
We adjure you by the Jesus who Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so too. So now you got guys that are saying, we demand you uh, to come out of him um, um, by Jesus, the one you know that Paul preaches about. And now the evil spirit speaks back through the person that the spirit is possessing in verse 15. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to both all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. What's happening here? What does the Holy Spirit do? The first work of the Holy Spirit? Convicts you of your sin. Remember, cut to the heart. So what are they doing here? They're believing, but all of a sudden they're confessing their sins and, the, and the, their deeds that they did that, that was wrong. That comes from the Holy Spirit conviction. Also, many of those who had practiced magic books uh, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. The cultism that was in Ephesus at this particular time, if they had that many books, the value um, I, in my column here says $364,000. I don't know how they came up with that number. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now in 21 and 22, this is the time that he wrote Corinthians. Apparently, Timothy and Erastus took the letter to deliver it. Although it was addressed to the Corinthians, the letter would reach the people in Macedonia, which would include Philippi and Thessalonica, and also the churches in Achaia, which would include Athens and Corinth. It was in this letter that Paul wrote a great and effectual door was opened for him in Ephesus, but that there had many adversaries. You can see why, because of all occultism. And we can see now that the adversaries were satanic. This was the center of pagan religion and of Satan worship. The Satan worship we see today is not something new at all. Oh, I can get sidetracked here because we're getting caught up in not what's really going on. What's really being played out is what you're seeing every night is the importance of getting the the vaccine. Um, The COVID-19 uh, thing is a, just an instrument and uh, it's being, I was listening to Curtis Bowers which will be with us and again, don't mess it and I was listening to a program he was um, talking about this and these are only props the people that are really pulling the strings on a worldly level 
are primarily the Rothschilds and the Bill Gates. And I, was, I had something I was going to put up on a screen tonight. And um, bear with me. What we're being told, this is from um, um, an oversight health group in Europe. And um, it's lengthy and it's credible. So I'm just going to quote it because I'm not looking for exactly. I'll just give you the numbers. The actual numbers, according to this organization in the UK, is that 6,662 people have died of uh, the vaccine. Did you catch that? 6,662 have died. 299,000 people after getting the vaccine having severe after effects. That's not being reported. And when Curtis was asked by Jan Markell why, why that's so, he says because the money, 90% of what you hear and the information that you receive, 90% of it comes from what you watch on TV. And they're owned and operated by the people with the money. But that's not even what's going on. They're just, they're just puppets too. They don't know it. But what's really happening is the Antichrist and the Lord is allowing this to happen and Reset 21, if you don't know what that is, please go to it because what they're gonna call for is a one world government. And a lot more talk about mandatory vaccine. I heard something interesting on the news tonight that says it sort of reached the plateau that everybody that wanted to get vaccinated seems to be vaccinated, now it's sort of dropping off. And one of the, I thought it was a very observant um, comment by the commentator. And uh, he was basically saying, I I wonder if the rest of these people are having second thoughts. Uh, I think uh, there's enough information that's out there today that's showing people that this vaccine, and it lists all four of them, not just the one in in this article that, that came out of the overseers of the health department. Um, uh, it's, their reports are coming out. It's not just the one, but there's four of them, four main ones altogether. And they say all four of them are equally as bad as the first one. So that was a little sidetrack there. And how I, how I got sidetracked is because I don't know. <laughs> oh, the Satan worship was there today. What's really going on today with this whole COVID thing and the vaccines is um, um, a plan to, in my personal belief, you can take it otherwise if you want to, to have a major depopulation and a lot of people die, which will bring about people crying out for we need one world leadership with one man at at the helm and when Curtis comes he'll just lay it out Curtis's agenda too is what's happening right now today spot on and so please if you have friends that don't know the Lord and they only listen to um, the guys that do the the evening news and that's all the information you're getting you, you have nothing Curtis did a wonderful job of laying it out from a biblical perspective 
Okay, let's get back to our study. That was, um, um, we're in Ephesus, verses 21 and 22. And so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, Timothy, in this letter, and when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must see Rome. He didn't make it on that trip, but he will on his final third missionary trip. That's where Paul eventually will be, be martyred. So he went into Macedonia. Two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way, or the Christians in Ephesus. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together. In other words, all the guys who make these gods that you see up on the screen, he called them together with the, the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. What does this remind you of? Doesn't it remind you of the demon-possessed girl that had the ability to do the fortune-telling? Demon got cast out, and the guys that were using her to make money said, we've we got to beat these guys up and throw them in jail, or we're going to lose our business. Exactly what's going on right here. What was her business? Making those idols right there out of silver. When I was in Ephesus, that was one of the few souvenirs you could buy. And yes, I bought one. I have no idea where it is because it was quite a few years ago that I was, I was there. Uh, but this was the main thing that they did in Ephesus as far as trade. Moreover, you see in here that not, that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that there are no gods which are made by hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into dispute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And so the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. All right, I'm going to put a picture of this spot. Here's a theater in Ephesus. When we visited there, this building was about one mile from the Mediterranean Sea. And, but Ephesus is a port city. So what I'm telling you is, since Paul's time, until the time we were there, the water had receded, and this would have been on the shore. It is now about a mile inland. But that spot, the white spot in the middle there, look at how huge that theater is. That's where they're all rushing into and they're all screaming and yelling, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And um, this was going on and on. And so I was able to give a Bible study just like on Mars Hill on an A spot. Here's an A spot right there. 
And with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, and I, I said earlier when I saw some of these names, I'm going to say, and, and that guy there, and this guy here, <laughs> Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Paul wants to go in and talk to him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent him, sent him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know, even know why they were there. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Everything's happening. Everybody's going to, something's going on. Let's go catch what the action is. So they're just going with the crowd and they did not know why they were coming together. Verse 33, and they drew Alexander out of the multitudes, the Jews putting him forward, And Alexandra motioned with his hands and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours. So for two hours, they say, great is Diana of the Ephesians, great is Diana of the Ephesians, two hours straight. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, guys, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and the image which fell down from Zeus? I'm going to pause here. Just I want to show you one more picture of Ephesus. It's the library. It's probably the best preserved building besides the amphitheater. And that would have been the library in um, Ephesus, um, even though you only have the, the facade there. Uh, for that many years, I thought it was still in pretty good shape. Back to verse 36. They're being warned, men of Ephesus, you're going to get us in trouble. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers or of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring their charges against one another. He's basically saying, if you guys don't shut up, we're gonna be in trouble. Because he says, but if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be be determined in the lawful assembly, for we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar. Why? Remember, it's a Roman province that is under Roman rule. And if the word got out that for two hours there was this riot that was taking place in the theater in Ephesus, saying Diana, um, great is Diana of the Ephesians, they're gonna wanna know why. What what wrong did they do? Nothing. We are in danger this day being called for this uproar. There being no reason which we may give account for of this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. On Sunday, we're going to pick this right up and carry it through because it does 
tie together. And um, um, with that, what we've gone through tonight is uh, Paul's end of his second missionary journey and him going into his third missionary journey. And um, next week, uh, no, we'll pick this up on Sunday. Um, I'm looking forward to Sunday very much because of some of the treasures and nuggets that are in here. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we've learned tonight that the spiritual realm is very, very real. And we know that there are many forces in our own time that are working behind the scenes, demonic forces. And um, so, Lord, we're told not to be ignorant of our enemy's devices and how he works. And obviously, he uses human instruments. This guy here was able to beat up the men that came after him who didn't know you. Um, We just pray, Lord, as we go out this night that we could just um, have a greater appreciation, not only for your word, but learn that the Apostle Paul was a man who willfully worked with his own hands with Priscilla and Aquila, and he was a tent maker, and yet he was so involved in all these cities and all these places. And so as we leave tonight, Lord, help us learn a lesson that Jesus spoke to the church of Ephesus. Um, Do good works, of course, but his exhortation to them was, don't ever leave your first love. It's the only thing that will bring comfort and hope, that solid rock. Um, You created man to worship, and man will worship something. It's in our nature, but Lord, we just wanna worship you. And as we close tonight, we just wanna say we love you, and help us, Lord, be in that place of keeping our first love. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen.